these things won't stop, folks. And so it is best that, you know, we think that we're, when we get beyond something, we say, good, now everything's going to be okay. Well, the reality is uh, everything won't be okay. There will always be something. Uh, And the goal is for us to be more resilient. Welcome to Colors of Influence, a podcast highlighting stories of purpose and intention from leaders who champion equity, diversity, and justice. I'm your host, Maylene Hamto. In this episode, I'm speaking with Stanley Green, President and CEO of Power Thinking, a company that offers global resilience training that gives professionals the knowledge and ability to retrain their brain and increase effectiveness. Anchored in positive psychology, the evidence-based approach is based on over 30 years of scientific research at the University of Pennsylvania. Stan has more than 25 years of experience in growing underperforming companies. Through power thinking, he offers proven strategies for developing resilience among people of all backgrounds. His work focuses on helping people develop a positive attitude and mindset to thrive even in the most difficult times. Stan has been inducted into the National Association of Minorities and Cable Hall of Fame. He created the first cable news channel for the Philadelphia market, which was later sold to Comcast. In addition to his corporate career, he also served as former Deputy State Treasurer for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. The opening clip for this episode is from Power Thinking's live and cost-free weekly call, where Stan offers a review of Power Thinking strategies such as the seven inner strengths and seven skills of resilience. During the calls, participants have a chance to briefly share their experiences and their reflections about the discussion topic, adding to the collective learning experience. More information on the calls is shared later in this episode. Welcome, Stan, and thank you for speaking with Colors of Influence. Can we begin with the creation story for Power Thinking Corporation? How did you get your start in helping people advance their career goals? Thank you very much for this opportunity. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I think this podcast, uh, is, is a, this series is a great idea. Uh, and it all started with me with, with an idea, with an idea around making a difference. And that goes all the way back. It wasn't one of those things where, you know, a couple of years ago, I said, I I want to help people the rest of my lives actually started uh, back when I was uh, in first grade, when my mother took me to school for the first time. And I looked at an empty class and that was going to be my classroom. And and I remember then when we uh, were in class, I I found myself helping uh, some of the youngsters to and my colleagues to uh, spell their names because they had trouble doing that. And uh, unfortunately, I got scolded by the teacher because she wanted them to learn for themselves. But uh, but I, I guess I found that it was in my DNA to help. And fast forward through uh, my years in, in, in college and uh, being a captain, a leader on my basketball team to uh, taking underperforming companies and organizations and helping them to thrive. Uh, it was, I was destined. I thought that it was in my DNA to do this. And just about 10 years ago, I came across a company that, that had the ownership rights to the intellectual property around positive psychology. It came out of the University of Pennsylvania's Positive Psychology Center. I bought the company and uh, now I'm doing this training all around the world. 
Thank you so much for the orientation to your work. I recently listened to a Power Thinking weekly call where you offered an overview of the framework and focused on a specific aspect of the Power Thinking model. It was really great to hear folks share candidly how they're using the strategies they've learned from the Power Thinking framework and integrating their own knowledge and lived experiences with Power Thinking strategies so that they may cope with everyday encounters with adversity. So let's go ahead and listen to a few reflections from a recent Wednesday call. I was just telling someone that as you learn to create your new tool bag and to re-blueprint your life and to challenge your beliefs, um, you can find things that are inside of you that start to help you better identify your worth and your value and give you strength beyond the moment. And you have the power to overcome everything. It's when something does come up in hardship, you're going to get stronger and more wise of it and more aware of it. We need to be pebbles in the pond to have that attitude. And my dad at 85 still asks the same question to everybody. Are you choosing to have a good day? It doesn't matter what adversary you face. You can be resilient and you can have the, the belief that all things will come out for the good. So I'm just very mm-hmm. grateful for all that you've done, Stan, all that that you've taught us, and I actually know the seven inner strengths without even looking at them now. So I just want to encourage everybody. I want to encourage everybody to be resilient through anything that they face in life. I wanted to share those clips because they are truly a testament to the impact that you're making with the weekly calls, highlighting the power and value of resiliency. Yes, uh, it is about focusing on the most powerful tool that we have, and that's our brain, our mind. And the goal is to to give people the tools, the skills uh, that have been evidence-based and proven to work so that they can retrain their brain and they can move in the right direction and have minimal setbacks. And when they do suffer the setbacks, to bounce back from those setbacks faster. Thank you. I appreciate that you emphasize the importance of resiliency and the approach that resiliency is a muscle that can be developed and improved upon. So in doing the work, what do you find most gratifying? What was most gratifying is that uh, it's not work. (laughs) I don't consider it work. That's the most gratifying, that I get up every day excited about helping people. Now, when I ran companies, um, there were times when we had the downturn in the dot-com bubble in 2000, 2008, uh, and, and I ran an internet company then, and I ran a, uh, a synthetic turf company doing the housing bubble in 2008. And in both situations, in order for the company to progress and the owners to thrive financially, we actually had to do something negative uh, to, to people. We had to lay them off. And uh, you know, many were in situations where you know, of course, uh, things got tight financially. And so I did not like that at all. And so certainly I got pats on the back from the owners of the company, um, but I didn't feel good about it. So I am, what's most gratifying now is that I can do something where uh, I can help people and, and help me at the same time. Uh, so I actually have this vision board where, you know, it, it's a picture that comes up on my uh, lock screen. You know, so I'm looking at it about 80 times a day every time the the screen comes back on. And what I'm trying to do is help people to go from what they think is impossible to what is possible, that I do it globally 
And that's how I earn a living. Stan, I find it truly inspiring that you're working toward your life's purpose and life's work by helping others achieve their full potential. What aspects of the work do you find most challenging? Well, the the most challenging uh, also becomes the most gratifying. Uh, the most challenging is is helping people to understand that no matter what setback uh, they may have suffered or what they may be going through now, be it personal, be it professional, and certainly uh, at the time that we're doing this recording, there's the global pandemic that's affecting everyone in the world, that despite how bad things seem, that they can get beyond it and they can bounce back much, much faster than they thought was possible. And that, you know, so while it's challenging to help uh, to convince people of that, because many people fall into this state of learn, what's called learned helplessness. People can Google that, that term. And uh, that's when you folks suffer trauma. Uh, they, they have repeated failures and setbacks. And then they fall into this state of helplessness where they don't believe that they can make it when in fact they can. So the challenge is having people understand that they can make it. Uh, and then what's most gratifying is when they when they realize that, yes, there are things that are under my control, uh, how I think, uh, what I believe that can change. And then my circumstances can change as well. So I just want to share that the strategies that you're providing through power thinking are applicable to professionals of all backgrounds. I know that the lessons are applicable to everyone in all types of sectors and industries. However, I just want to pose this question. It's a fact that Black people, Latinos, and other people of color continue to be underrepresented in management ranks. How does your approach apply directly to the experiences of people of color from diverse backgrounds? That's an excellent question, Maylene, and it's something that I've experienced throughout uh, my lifetime. Um, And I run organizations, and uh, I may supervise uh, people of color and uh, or I have customers in communities in the cable industry, for example, there were certain communities that were of color. And when I listened to how uh, others may treat them, I mean, customer service reps, for example, and how they talk to them. And I would say, whoa, why are you talking to them like that? Oh, well, and they would come up with some reason. And I said, do you realize that they pay more money than the people that live in the wealthier communities pay for their cable TV? They really value it. So we really need to value them. And um, so I have to really work hard to change their thinking. Uh, but when it comes to people of color, because of the things that have happened over centuries, um, there's a special emphasis because we talked about that learned helplessness. When you have laws that were constructed and initiatives that were purposely put together to, to keep people down, Um, then it's easy for uh, communities of color to fall into that state of learned helplessness, where they may say, well, I'll have to wait until the next election, and hopefully this new person uh, that gets into office will help me. And the reality is, it still doesn't change. Uh, But the reality also is that each of us has the power, individually and collectively, to make that change. And we've seen it most recently with many of the protests that people have decided enough is enough. 
we're going to do something about it, not wait for something to happen. We're going to have make it happen. And that's what power thinking is all about, recognizing that we have the power to make change and to make things happen. And it's great to see that young people, uh, before they fall into a state of learned helplessness and go, well, that's the way it is. We'll never get there. Uh, they're moving the ball. That's great. Thank you so much for naming that. I, I might also offer the same credit to the older generation for modeling activism and how to speak truth to power and how we can demand greater accountability for racial justice. I appreciate you giving credit to young people who are forming multicultural anti-racist coalitions. On a similar but related note, in your work, how do you incorporate a focus on diversity and inclusion? Well, it's inherent in, in, in my work. Um, you know, as you mentioned, that I, I communicate to people of many, many backgrounds, but I especially seek out entities like the uh, North Carolina, uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina Black Chamber of Commerce. I have a partner who's working on uh, reaching out to HBCUs and, and other communities. I have uh, my, one of, uh, two of my best partners are my partners in Japan and in China. Uh, and and in Kenya, that my first partner was in in Kenya, and uh, in fact, she, will, she plans to be on my call uh, very soon. Uh, in fact, uh, this is on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, she's going to be there. So I'm especially reaching out uh, to communities of color, and you know, so, so that they can recognize that they have value, uh, no matter where you are in the world. No matter what you look like, your ethnicity, your culture, you have value and you bring value to every particular, every situation. The challenge is having people realize and tap into the power that enables them to provide that value. You mentioned earlier that power thinking has a global following. In addition to the United States, your positive psychology strategies are also being adopted in Japan, in Kenya, China, and other countries. With the global reach of the power thinking framework, I'm wondering how the approach is applicable in various global cultures. Another quick question, Maylene. And what I've found is that while we're talking about different parts of the world, um, different countries. Uh, I've recently talked to folks from Australia and, uh, and in Europe, in London, uh, Slovenia. Um, we have a number of countries around the world, and certainly uh, Liberia and Africa, Rwanda. We've had people on our calls from Ghana. Uh, and what I found is while people live in different parts of the world, uh, they, you know, it may look different from the outside in terms of their color. They have different cultures, different languages. The common thread is that we all, no matter where we are in the world, go through setbacks. So the approach is actually the same. In my first um, workshop abroad, it was in Tokyo, and it was a two-day workshop, all translated. And I didn't begin the workshop. I just uh, introducing myself and asking my students to introduce themselves. I asked one question. I asked, you know, what was the most crushing adversity you've ever experienced? And I shared one of mine. And just because folks have succeeded in areas, it doesn't mean that they haven't gone through crushing setbacks. And so when people would stay, they would stand up and they would share 
um, very openly and candidly a crushing uh, adversity. It could have been a professional, it could have been personal. And I was blown away and their classmates were blown away. And then they proceeded, each of them, they proceeded to be very open and honest. And what was interesting was that in China, Japan, when I would ask the one question, uh, and that is, so tell me if, if you were working for someone or in the case of the young people and students, if your teacher came up to you and said, uh, or if you was your boss, um, I need to see you in my office uh, in 15 minutes. What's the first thought that would come to mind? And Maylene, you probably <laughs> finish it for me. And it's the same everywhere. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Even the students say, I'm in trouble. <laughs> or you know, the person that's working for someone says, I'm getting fired. We all go negative. And 70 to 80% of these 50,000 thoughts we pro our brains process every day are typically negative. So no matter where we are in the world, we do experience the same things in terms of our thinking. We'll tend to think the worst um, as opposed to the best. Thank you. I think that's such an important observation. In my cursory knowledge of neuroscience, I've learned that the human brain has evolved to focus on the negative as a matter of survival, which brings us to all the anxieties that so many people have at this moment. During this time of uncertainty, what are some of the most common concerns that your clients are asking about? What typically comes up during this time of the global pandemic and the, the consequently the people who've been laid off and going through financial stress, we've seen people within two weeks of uh, they're being laid off and going into food lines and waiting hours to get food. Um, just something that is very, very eye-opening. And uh, what I talk about in my uh, workshops and the 30-minute calls that I do every week is that we all are, are going through an emotional roller coaster. And we do that whether it's a pandemic or not. It could be something as minute as a disagreement with a significant other uh, that escalates. And all of a sudden, we don't talk to people, don't talk to each other, and then they get a divorce. And much of that is happening now as well, as people are trying to are stressed out and they're trying to figure out how to get through the pandemic. And so I talk about these five big negative emotions. There's anger that we experience, uh, angry that this is happening to us. There's uh, guilt, there's embarrassment, loss of standing, you lose a job and you, you've tied your entire existence to that job as an executive in a company, and now you don't have it anymore, um, you feel embarrassed. It, break it to your family, to your friends. Um, this sadness, uh, the sadness of a pure loss. And then there's anxiety. And that's the fear of a future threat. And so what I find uh, through this pandemic and the, the subsequent loss of jobs and, and so forth and unemployment is the anxiety, uh, the fear of a future threat. That future threat being, I could be evicted. I don't know if we'll have enough money for food to pay our bills. Um, I don't know when we're going to get out of this. Uh, what if my child goes to school and then comes back and gives, gives me the, uh, the COVID uh, virus? Now, how do we deal with that? And so one of the big things that people have to understand is that every single problem or challenge has a solution. 
And if we can focus more on how we solve the problem, first take that deep breath, three seconds in, and six seconds slowly out, um, it helps to calm us. And then as we calm ourselves, we can begin to think about reaching out, which is another big inner strength of resilience, taking the initiative to call of family members, friends, you'll find that people will have information. Uh, they'll share things with you. They'll, well, did you know about this program or that food line? Uh, you know, you know, you can call your bill uh, collectors and they can work things out because they understand. And all of a sudden you start coming up with solutions. And so the best way to deal with that anxiety is first calm, we calm ourselves down and then we, we start to reach out and, uh, and, and, it doesn't matter. You don't have to sit down and say, well, I don't think this person will be the right person to call. Call anyone and everyone. You'd be surprised at what they know that can help you. They don't know they can get you in touch with someone else. Uh, but that's what many people don't do when they're frozen in, in fear and they, they're anxious and they, they fear that unknown. They'll get into a fetal position and won't get out of bed and uh, don't want to let people know that they're in trouble. Uh, but the helpers are there. People are there to help, and they want to help. We just have to get our, out of our own way sometimes, uh, many times, to uh, take the initiative to get that help. That is so powerful. Thank you. Speaking from what I've observed in my own community, I know that there's a sense that if you ask for help, it's a sign of weakness. In the Asian Pacific Islander community, particularly for first-generation newcomers, there seems to be a belief that uh, one needs to tough it out about powering through no matter what. So I'm wondering if you've also observed this in your practice and doing this work with people from various backgrounds. Oh, yes, more so than anything. And it all goes back to that experience in first grade where uh, the teacher uh, did not want the students to get help. They wanted the students to figure it out for themselves. And when we take tests, we take tests on our own. Don't look anywhere. Don't look around because you're not to get help. So we are conditioned and programmed to figure it out for ourselves, to be strong and tough and get through it ourselves. And uh, the, act, the opposite actually works a lot better. You know, when we get out of that mode and retrain our brains to, uh, to now and challenge our beliefs. Challenging beliefs is one of our seven skills. And as we push back on this belief that we should be able to get through it ourselves and recognize that you can get through it faster if you get help, that getting help is actually a strength. It is one of our seven inner strengths of resilience in addition to optimism and self-efficacy, the belief that you can make it. Reaching out is a strength. And as soon as we can reprogram, retrain our brains and, and our belief systems to move in that direction, the faster we can get out of any adversity that we may experience. In doing the work, how do you stay true to your core values and integrity? In some of the other jobs, and another great question, I've, I've had a, a challenge with staying true to my values and, and, and my integrity, because you know, maybe the owner of a business would say to me, well, Stan, we're going to have to lay off some people. And one job, we're uh, doing the dot-com bubble. You know, I had 117 people in over a six-month period. 
you know, I had to lay off about a hundred of them. That was very, very tough. And we could not be forthright with them. And that was a challenge to me. I did not like that. Uh, and I knew the information, but I could not share it immediately. And so there was a conflict there uh, because I always wanted to be open and honest with people. I always wanted to help. But in some of those situations, in order for the company to succeed, for the, for the owner of the business to be happy, this is what I had to do. Well, now I own my own business and I made sure that the business that I took control of when I purchased the company Reflective Learning that had the rights to this intellectual property, uh, evidence-based intellectual property out of the University of Pennsylvania's Positive Psychology Center, I made sure that what they did was aligned with who I am and what I am about. And that is just a tremendous position to be in. So that every day, there's no conflicts. What you do is consistent with who you are. Power Thinking has been in operation for more than a decade now. What were some of the most important lessons you learned throughout those years? Sure. Well, the first lesson was don't raise money. And that's why it took 10 years to find the right model. And for people that think that you're just supposed to go into a situation and if you're a successful person, that it is just going to take off. And if it doesn't take off within a couple of years, uh, then you're not successful. Um, if you have, if you go through setbacks and sometimes setbacks that could last a year or two years, uh, then you're not successful and nothing could be further from the truth. Many people that have succeeded, uh, uh, we, and they, and they look as if they're an overnight success. It turns out that it took many years to get there and many changes that facilitated, uh, that, that rise to the top. And so with this particular company, um, I had to know, recognize that uh, I couldn't raise money like the other company did. It wouldn't be wise to do that. Because while this material uh, was tremendous and every single human being needed it, not every human being recognized that they needed it. And it's one thing to, you know, to have something that's really good for you. It's another thing for people to want it. Because if they don't want it, it doesn't matter how much you push <laughs> they're not going to take it. You're not going to make any money. And that's what happened with the previous company. So they raised a lot of money, millions of dollars, created an on, a six-hour online course, uh, and they tried to, to, to sell it to companies, and it just didn't take. And the investors got tired, and that was my opportunity. But I knew that I had to use my own money to do it. And if I would raise money from people and it didn't work out in a few years, then I would be out, and they would sell the company to someone else. Uh, they would take it over like Shark Tank, and now they own it. And take it. So I needed to go through the bumps and the bruises and, you know, and my savings to find, try different models, different ways until we found the one that I believe is the appropriate model. And that is what we do today with our Wednesday calls. Uh, and then what we do is we, we store those calls on our website and we charge people Netflix pricing, only $9.95 a month. And they have access to all of our calls, all of our video uh, content, uh, and a forum where they can communicate with others. But the calls are absolutely free. Uh, and had I you know, had partners and investors, which I avoided uh, years ago, we probably wouldn't have been able to get to this point. Uh, they would have given up, others would have given up, and we would have crashed and burned. So 
Uh, that was an important lessons through the years that um, don't take on investors. Uh, but the other one is don't give up and don't continue to do the same thing if it's not if it's not working. We actually scrapped the six hour online course that we inherited from the other company uh, in favor of, I was told by the you know, vice president of Comcast University, their training arm, that he said, Stan, you're better at teaching this than that university professor that's on that video. I think you need to do this. Uh, and uh, I reluctantly moved in that direction. And that's what led me to where we are today, where I think we found the right model. And I think you've really come up with a powerful and effective learning model that brings people together, encouraging people to learn from each other and draw from each other's knowledge and experiences. Shifting gears a bit, right now, there's a lot of turmoil in our lives, the global pandemic, economic uncertainty, and renewed energy around holding systems accountable to racial justice. In the midst of all this, what what gives you hope? Oh, what gives me hope, Maylene, is, is that as long as people um, are, that they have hope, that they are determined uh, that we can, uh, that we'll get there. And so what happens is, um, I think over the generations, every generation has made progress in the, in the area of, of, of social justice, civil rights, uh, just, you know, getting out in the case of African-Americans, you know, the horrible institution of slavery. Uh, and there's been movement, but it was always people, or younger people who weren't locked into certain beliefs, who didn't fall into the state of learned helplessness. Because as you can imagine, you know, over time, again, through repeated setbacks, you know, you're pushing and you're pushing, you know, you have a lot of energy and you do make some progress, but then you get so far and then you say, look, um, I'm older, I'm tired, you know, uh, nothing will change beyond where we are today. We accomplished a lot. And then there's a group coming up and they say, hey, um, we're not tolerating this. Uh, this is not good. And we may say, well, it is what it is. Uh, the older people may say it is what it is. And the younger folks will say, oh, no, it doesn't have to be that way. And they push and they push. And every generation, we make more and more progress. And so what gives me hope is the, is the fact that there will always be younger people with fresh minds um, who won't be locked into a state of learned helplessness over time and who won't be locked into uh, certain beliefs. Uh, there are things that have changed our beliefs uh, about what should be tolerated. Uh, smartphones and how smartphones have exposed real time what's going on uh, has changed everything. You know, I, 20 years ago, started a news company in Philadelphia, and one of my initiatives was what was called the Neighborhood News Corps, and I received a citation from the Pennsylvania legislature about it, where people can use their camcorders, and at the time we were talking about these big bulky camcorders, to record what's happening on the street. Well, two things made that really clumsy. One, the cameras were too big and people didn't have them readily available. They may have been in the trunk of their car or in their homes, but by the time you know anything happened, it was too late. And then uh, one in the old days would have to send in the the uh, the old video, um, and which could take days or weeks. And in this case, now everything is instantaneously instantaneous, and so the entire world now sees something like the with the tragedy with George Floyd, and then they respond. 
And they, because of social media, they're able to respond quickly. And there's no one person that's leading it. Uh, they all have a unified uh, mindset around what they saw and what's right and what's wrong, and they react to it. Those are the things that give me hope. What's the best advice you ever received? The best advice I've ever received was what I actually observed with my mother. Um, and it was more about the action versus what she, she said. And it was watching her bounce back. Uh, when my dad uh, kind of walked out on us, I was 10 years old and there was six of us and to kind of left us. And my mother had to figure out how to avoid foreclosure uh, of the house and financial distress that uh, we were going through, uh, as well as other things. And I, uh, I watched her uh, get stronger and reach out for help. And one of the ways she reached out for help was to help other people. She joined an organization called the Consumer Education Protective Association to help her you know, get out of that situation with the foreclosure. They did. And then she became the grievance chair uh, woman with the organization, a high-ranking person in the organization, helping other people who were ripped off by uh, companies. And uh, when they would negotiate, and the company said, well, we're, we're standing our ground. We're not going to give anything back or make the customer whole. They would organize pickets. My mother would be out there with picket signs with my little brothers and sisters. I think I was in college at the time. And, and so I watched her go from um, you know, feeling in a state of helplessness to being resilient and bouncing back and getting stronger and then helping other people to do it. So the advice was always uh, never give up. And, and I, I learned it more powerfully through the actions, her actions, than anything that she may have told me. Thank you so much, Stan. Those are all the questions I have for the Colors of Influence podcast. Much appreciation for making time to share your experiences in starting this venture and also your ongoing work in sustaining a community of resilient professionals. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? No, I think this was tremendous, Maylene. I really appreciate it. I would only say that if anyone's interested, we do these uh, Wednesday calls where we reinforce uh, power thinking and the, these resilient skills like challenging our beliefs, uh, avoiding these thinking traps like jumping to conclusions or beating ourselves up too much or blaming others excessively, um, mind reading. We think we know what the other person's thinking. These are uh, some of the thinking traps that we help people to avoid, how to stay calm and focus on what's important. We do these Wednesday calls to reinforce this 7.30 a.m. Eastern time to 8 a.m., just 30 minutes, and then 9.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. Um, and if you want to get on the list to receive an automatic text message from us, uh, just uh, text me your first and last name to uh, 215-219-8409. That's 215-219-8409. Or go to my website, powerthinkingcorp.com. That's www.powerthinkingcorp.com. Scroll down and you'll see the the information about the calls, you can click a link and get on the list. We'll text you information, reminders. We'll text the video every Tuesday night about what we're going to cover. And then we'll have an opportunity to talk about it. So I just want to let people know that. And that is no cost, 
absolutely no cost to you. That's what I wanted to share. And I, I want to thank you, Maylene, for this opportunity. This has been tremendous. Your questions were great. And my hope is that uh, all the people out there will benefit from uh, this discussion. Thank you for tuning in to Colors of Influence. I'm your host, Maylene Hamto, and my guest was Stanley Green, CEO and President of Power Thinking Corporation. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to or follow Colors of Influence everywhere you get your podcast. For updates, please follow us on Instagram at Colors of Influence and on Twitter, Colors Influence. Email us your ideas for future topics and guests at pod at colorsofinfluence.com. Support is provided by House of Pod and the Amped Women of Color Podcast Incubator.